Good morning. Here we are again, carrying on in our series on the Apostles' Doctrine. This is number three, and we're going to begin in Colossians chapter two. So you can turn there in your Bibles. When I was a kid, I liked to read adventure stories like Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Even today, I like stories about treasure. I'm kind of hooked on a show on the History Channel called The Mystery of Oak Island. And I read about it as a kid, a little boy, where supposedly there's some treasure buried deep on an island up in Nova Scotia. The problem is there's all kinds of booby traps that prevent people from getting it. and Nobody's been able to get it. All kinds of clues to it. And I've been fascinated by that. But in all these treasure stories, the plot hinges on the discovery of some ancient clue, a chart or a map. And the people, like in Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, who find the treasure realize that if, if, they, can, if they can understand and follow the cryptic map, it's going to lead them to buried treasures that have been hidden for years, maybe, maybe centuries. And they're going to be rich beyond what they can even imagine. But there's always some problems in the story. And some people don't believe the map is true. It might be true. It could be fake. It could be a trick. Other people say, well, the map isn't really um, being read right. Um, there's secret codes that we haven't understood yet. <clears throat> um, there's dangers here that might not be worth it. There's threats because other people want to get there first. But we all know how the uh, point of it should end. We want the guy in the story of Treasure Island, Jim, to be able to get the treasure through the difficulties and go back home and live happily ever after. And in Colossians chapter 2, we have the treasures of Christ. And if you look with me in Colossians chapter 1, particularly verse uh, 26 and 27, Paul says that he's made a minister, even the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery is the eternal Christ dwelling in me, the hope of my glory. Who Paul says, who we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereto I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul says, this treasure is Jesus, and he is worth putting all our eggs in one basket here for the sake of Jesus. And so, Paul's speaking about God's mystery, God's secret plan, a plan that has been dormant, uh, working behind the scenes, but not been revealed to humanity. Like, a, like imagine a map that's locked away in a, in a locked and, and dusty cupboard somewhere for, for decades and centuries here. And now, suddenly, what has happened is the cabinet has been unlocked, the map has been unrolled here, and the events concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, have been made clear in what he's up to. And Paul says, I have that map, and I want as many people as possible to come with me to find that treasure. And so, in Colossians chapter 2, he tells them what the treasure is, and the dangers that they're going to face 
because there are going to be enemies against this treasure and the way that they have to go to, to make sure this treasure is, is rooted deeply and they're walking in the ways of this treasure, Jesus. The organizing theme around all these thoughts in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is Jesus as King. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the, seek, he's the, he's the desire to plant. He's the treasure. He's the one in whom they'll, they'll, they will find a safety in, in spite of danger and enemies. He's the one who they must find their way to this hope of glory. It's Jesus and walking in his ways. And so um, in Colossians chapter 2, um, he tells us Jesus is Messiah. This king, the Messiah, he's the heart of God's secret mystery, his plan that's now been revealed. Nobody, no matter how um, uh, many degrees they might have had, could have guessed that when God reveals his plan, his blueprint, so to speak, for bringing the world under his control and and, and showing this, his redemption and his saving rule, that that blueprint here was made up of a Jewish man, a poor man, a rabbi, who was God and man, all in flesh, suffering the cruel punishment that Romans used for, uh, for rebellious um, members of their empire, revolutions, um, and then this man rising from the dead three days later. That's how this blueprint would be unlocked and the cupboard would be open. And now this has happened. An amazing and stunning fact. And Paul wants those who are reading this letter, the church in Colossae and the other churches who would then read it uh, by extension, to come to see that this map makes sense and this treasure that at one time was hidden was Jesus Christ himself. King Jesus. The center of the universe. The key to life and purpose and what God is doing. The very image of the invisible God. The truth of what it means to be fully and truly human. Christianity ultimately is Christ. And Paul wants us to understand that when Christ is at the center of your world and picture a wheel where all the spokes lead to Jesus so that the Father is glorified, the world will stop its chaos here and, and, and our part on this planet will make sense. Find Jesus, Paul says, and you've got the eternal treasure. Now, you're going to have to open up the lid of that treasure. You're going to have to uh, uh, put your hands in that treasure and, and notice what's in that treasure and pull out and see the pearls and the jewels and the diamonds. But what you'll see, Paul's saying, is that all the wisdom and the knowledge of this world that ever there was means nothing without finding its fullness in Christ, the fullness of Christ. Jesus is what this is all about. And Paul's saying, look, this is what you're going to have to decide to follow. So let me read in chapter 2. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ. Now listen to this. 
in whom are hidden all the fullness, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile or deceive you with enticing or persuasive words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order, your good discipline, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul is impressed that they're continuing on in the scriptures, continuing on in the things that they had been taught. And he wants them to say, to, to be able to say for themselves, this is where I am. I am on Team Jesus. There is no turning back. And this is what it's going to take to follow Jesus up to the end of my days. Now, for a world that's confused, those are fighting words. Jesus might seem like something that's just historically curious. He might be seen as a past fad. He might be seen as a has-been. He might be seen as someone of interest, but I'm going to move on from there. That's how it was in the first century and even more so today. But here in the scriptures, and you, you can see in verse 4, he wants, Paul wants the, these Colossi Christians to understand that there will be all kinds of people who are want to just push Jesus aside and give their own arguments that sound persuasive, but are going to lead them astray. If you don't follow the map, you're like a treasure seeker who wants the treasure, but you've got all kinds of voices speaking into your minds, influencing you, and you're going to be lured off course by people who are out to stop you from finding and delighting and enjoying Christ. And Paul knows that followers of Jesus Christ are going to have the scorn and the sneer and the deceptiveness of the, of the broader world to distract them from enjoying the treasure of Jesus Christ. And so, with the truths of the foolishness of the world, of a crucified Jew being the Lord of the world, I mean, after all, in the Roman Empire, we've already got gods in this town who we pay our offerings to and protect and guide us. There's all kinds of well-known religions if you want a new spiritual experience. And, the, and what about the Roman emperor himself? He's the God, isn't he? So you can't be serious if this crucified Jew who you say came back to life is the center of the universe. People don't like to hear that. And Paul understands that. And he knows since he can't be physically present with the little churches here. He writes in this letter, though he can't be in face-to-face, -face, so they can line themselves up, so they can be entrenched in the truths of Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying or rejoicing and beholding your order, your good discipline, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Good order and steadfastness, a solidity. It, 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 it's a military term. You can think of a military formation, ready, lined up, in their places, ready to defend, not caught off guard. And what he wants them to understand is that they have to go forward in the direction they've already begun. As you have therefore, in the next verse, received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. 
So you have to go forward. You have received Jesus Christ has been passed on to you. You believe you've been established in the gospel. He says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world, and brings forth fruit, as it does also in you since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. He says you received it. It's, it, it's to bear fruit in your lives here. And since I can't be with you, I want you to know that you have to take what you've received, and now you have to live in Jesus. You could think of it like riding a bicycle. If you're riding a bicycle, unless you're really good, like some of those guys who could do stunts and stuff, unless you're going forward, you're going to fall pretty much. And going forward as a Christian means going forward in Christ. And Paul says you need to be rooted in Him. Imagine a, uh, a tree with roots that go deep and good solid soil. You need to be built up in Him. Imagine uh, building up a house that is, uh, is on a firm, solid foundation. Uh, piece by piece, brick by brick, built up in Him. And Paul says, that's how you were taught, and that's how you have to continue to grow in stages of Christian maturity. Because what you need is not what the world says you need to be distracted by, but what you most deeply need is the King Himself. You always need more of Him. You can never exhaust Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. And that's what Paul wants the Colossians to understand. And so he says this, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How do you do that? He's going to give four participles. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments or the basic elements the, the basic principles the world operates by of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality or rule and power. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So verse 6 and 7 and 8 here are going to sum up the center of everything that Paul wants to say in this great book of Colossians. And Paul wants you to know that the, 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 the fruit of this will be a, a thankfulness that is overflowing in your lives. How will you know that you're growing in Christ, that you're rooted in Christ, that you're built on Him, and you're, and you're bearing fruit? Thankfulness is overflowing in your life. That's how you know you're on the right track. Because that doesn't happen apart from the Spirit. And there is an attractiveness to your life and a delight here in God and enjoying God. And the world will look at you in puzzling uh, disarray and wonder, how are you living this new sort of life? And that's how the gospel spreads. So verse 6 and 7 sums up what Paul wants to say. Um, Paul has, has laid out a prayer, a song in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 that prepares us for this. You could read that. And look at that there, what he wants to see come from the church. And everything that's going to come here in Colossians 2, 6-8 after this leads on from it. This is what it looks like to bear fruit here. And as you, as you read or, or pray your way through this letter, 
I would encourage you to take Colossians 2, 6 through 8, write them on a card or type them out on a piece of paper. Handwriting is always better than typing to get it in your memory here. And put it up where you can have this drilled in your head because Paul is going to talk about the two ways. The two ways. And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time here this morning on. He says in Colossians 2 and verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. There's again the purpose of our salvation, growing in the Christ, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, watch out, lest any man spoil you, capture you, kidnap you through philosophy, man's way of thinking, uh, and vain deceit, empty uh, deceits after the tradition of men, after what men say you need to do, and after the basic principles of the world, and not after Christ. So here's what we need to understand. Paul wants us to, to know that if you've received the gospel, remember in session one we looked at what was the apostles' doctrine, the gospel here that they proclaimed and preached in Acts chapter 10. And we saw that the gospel that they preached, they, they let people know that it was prophesied beforehand in the scriptures as part of God's unfolding plan to bless the families of the earth through the seed of David and the new covenant in which there would be forgiveness of sin and the placing of God's spirit into man. And this gospel, this good news is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's a son of God who took on flesh the seed of David, descendant of David, the king of kings. Uh, born of the Holy Spirit. He came in the flesh. He lived a perfectly righteous, sinless life. He died. He was buried. And He rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And He seated and descended at the right hand of the Father. And this Jesus, He's going to come again and He's going to judge the earth. And He's going to set up this kingdom of God. And, and He's going to abolish sin and and, and, and false rulers and authority. He's going to reign forever and ever. And when you hear this message, you need to believe. You need to rely and trust totally in it because uh, you will receive the forgiveness of sins. You'll be reconciled to God. You'll be given the Spirit of God as a pledge of your eternal inheritance, a down payment, as you eagerly await the Savior who will return for you. That was the Gospel. They preached. And so, as you have received Christ. He says in verse 6, After you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walking in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. First thing I want us to see this morning is this. As you have received I've tried to be very thorough in that of what that means. As you have received Christ, the fullness of Christ, number one, so live. So live. The idea of walking, the idea of, of living is now pressing and leaning into who you are. Look what you are. Look at the following verses later on. And verse 9, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, the supreme rule of the universe. So as you have received, first of all, so live. Verse 6. Well, how do you live? Well, it reminds us in verse 7. How did you receive and what happened? As you were rooted. 
you were rooted. When you were saved, when you received Christ in faith and repentance, Jesus Christ rooted you in him. So as you are rooted, then be built up. Grow in the fertile soil of the fullness and wholeness of Jesus Christ. As you have been taught, thirdly, and abounding therein with thanksgiving. So as, number one, as you have received, so live. Number two, as you are rooted, be built up. Number three, as you are taught, be established in truth. You're not going to be able to live. You're not going to be able to walk, navigate correctly without the truth of God's word. The simplicity of the truth of God's word. And then fourthly, so don't return to slavery. Don't return to slavery. You might wonder, well, what does it mean to be then built up? What were the, what were the things of Christ, the basic principles of Christ that were passed down to the churches? What were the things that believers were rooted in? And the answer to that is the teaching of the apostles, the apostles' doctrine, which we get through the epistles, the letters in the New Testament. We begin to see it put together, that picture here. And really what it came down to were, were these basic things. That when a believer, uh, when, when someone was born again, becomes a believer, they are then taught that that meant to lay aside their old life to be, unleash the Spirit in their life, who has come to dwell in them, in the Word of God, the teaching in the New Testament, and conform their life to the will of God. As you were taught, then be established in that. There is a putting off, a renewing of the mind, and a putting on. Those things were, were uh, taught over and over. And out of this, there's a bearing fruit. There are virtues, there are the... The beauty of Christ's character, we can call it the fruit of the Spirit. You can see it in 2 Peter chapter 1, these virtues, etc. here, that, are, that only through surrender to the Spirit, we'll look at that next time, number four, life in the Spirit, we'll look at that next time in the Apostles' Doctrine. But these things are to, uh, as we're rooted in Christ, these things will flow out of us and characterize us as people who represent Christ. One of the other things that these individuals were taught uh, as a church in these early churches here to grow in the Christ is their homes. How are your homes that they uh, that were to be ordered properly? What if you had an unbelieving spouse? Or um, how are you to relate to your husband or relate to your wife or relate to your children or relate to your boss or relate to those who work for you? That there's an order there that God has set out for us that's consistent with, with, with God's eternal design for man and the church and when the individual homes, the building blocks of the church are, are in accord with God's design, it's a powerful witness to the, to the church of Jesus Christ. The other thing that the believers were instructed in, being established in truth as you were taught, as you were rooted, as you received, it was this, that God's household made up of many households, homes, individuals here. But God's household, the local church, and, and, and by extension, his church all around the world here, is the, is the pillar and the support of the truth. And God's church, just like our homes must be properly ordered, God's church must be properly ordered according to sound doctrine that had been passed on from the apostles, and particularly Paul's. We have quite a bit of his teachings in the New Testament here. 
You can see 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16 for what Paul says about the conduct that's supposed to be going on in the church. And then, what about me as an individual? How do I fit into this larger organism, the local church here? Well, every believer, Ephesians 4, needs to be committed to do his part um, in, in one another ministry. There are many commands in Scripture that are one another's. This is how you uh, correspond and serve one another. And specifically, and how we use our gifts in building up the church. And our relationships amongst the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God, the household of God, need to be characterized by love, by grace, by truth, by brotherhood, by acceptance, by respect, by putting ourselves under others to serve them rather than our own desires above others. And to be diligent to do this and to seek peace of the church for the witness of Jesus Christ. These were the things that the Colossians would have been taught in all of the early church here. So number one, as you have received, so live. Number two, as you are rooted, be built up. Number three, as you were taught, be established in the truth. And number four, because of these things, don't return to slavery. Don't return to slavery. Look what he says in verse eight. Beware, watch very carefully, pay close attention, lest any man spoil you. That word spoil is the idea of, of booty, like pirates taking off, uh, uh, walking off with a pirate booty, or it could be the idea of kidnapping here. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, the thinking of the world, the, the, the various ways the world tries to make sense of the world, and to say, this is what you need to live for. This is how you need to operate. It's all apart from Christ, whether that's a minimalistic um, uh, philosophy or whether that's a materialistic philosophy about get everything that you can. Ultimately, if it's apart from the glory of Jesus Christ, it means nothing. It's just man's attempts here. So don't be spoiled by that. Don't, don't be carried off by that through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. That's if man starts with himself, that's going to end pretty horribly. So when man, people are just passing on uh, things that are opinions and saying this is what uh, this is the way you need to live, sift that through Christ. After the rudiments of the world, that word rudiment is the idea of basic elements. You, um, it's a word that's actually used of a, of your line of ABCs. So the basic principles here. The basic elements, the fundamentals, the foundations of the, of the thinking of the world. Don't walk after that. And not after Christ. So don't return to slavery. Stay in the path of Jesus Christ. Now he could have said, and not after, and listed all these different things. But he sums it up, doesn't he? With what the gospel and bearing fruit is all about. Following after Christ. Christ has saved you, and as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so now walk in Him. Live in Him. So walk in Christ. Don't return to slavery. Uh, uh, make sure that you are, 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 are living according to what the Bible says. We, in our uh, government restrictions, are having a lot of conversations right now about what does the co Constitution say are our rights? And what we should do. 
And it's always good for crises like these to, to help us go back and say, what are the foundations here and the, and the um, uh, arena of our country? What does the Constitution say? Well, how are we supposed to operate? What, the, what can the government say we can do and can't do based on this, this basic document here of how our country and our freedoms are to be and how we're to operate here? And so we should also wear the Word of God. There are so many things that we are told we must take this particular position on or this or that or we must live this way or do that and the Bible doesn't delineate that. The Bible doesn't make that clear. Uh, we're told that uh, uh, you, 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 must, you must think this particular way and I can't find it in Scripture. Or we must, you're told uh, you, must, you must dress in this particular way or you must uh, uh, fill your mind with this particular uh, publisher, etc. here and I can't find it in Scripture. What I can find in Scripture is the simplicity that's in Christ. Look what he says again. These treasures that are hidden in Christ uh, your faith in Christ in verse 5. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving, uh, not spoiled or ruined by the, the thinking of the world, but instead going after Him, Christ. Why? For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are completed Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So let me boil this down here. And let's think about our, our personal lives here. Think about in life when you had to learn a set of basic fundamentals, of principles. I liked to play basketball when I was a, when I was a teen and in college. And I was never good at it. Um, but it was fun to me. But there were certain fundamentals, certain things you had to get down. My junior and senior year of high school, I worked at Chick-fil-A in New Jersey. And there was a certain way that Chick-fil-A said you did things. There was a certain uh, method to their process here. And I had to learn a set of first principles that would produce the fruit of what they expected for their chicken sandwiches. And their waffle fries. And their lemonade. And all that good stuff. I had to learn a new set of first principles. Or think about if you ever had to learn a new language, you start off with the basics. The letters, uh, the pronunciation, uh, the, the, how the, the sentence structure, etc. here. And you learn how important it is to get those basic principles down effectively. And as you got those down, you could build from there. Well, I've talked a little bit about what the first principles were, the basic principles that um, the apostles passed on. And you can check these out on your own uh, study here in the New Testament. What are the things that keep repeating in James and the things that keep repeating in, in, um, in, in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and the letters, etc. here? What are the things that the churches were grounded in over and over and in the book of Acts, etc. here? But it has a bearing on your effectiveness. It, it, it really does something here uh, to what you can do. And as I learned those particular um, principles at Chick-fil-A uh, as to this is how you, what you're supposed to do, I was able to do more and more things, go to more and more stations, etc. here. Uh, friends, there is a set of basics and foundations that everybody operates by. It's called our core values. 
there's a set of core values that the world operates by that drives its way of thinking and its way of life. And there is a set of core values and basic fundamentals of Jesus Christ that we are to live our faith by. And they do not mesh. They are opposed one to the other, Paul says in Romans and Galatians. They're enmity to God. And so it's important to understand what philosophy you're aligning yourself with. Is it the purity of Christ? Or has it been tainted and tried to meld and mix in with the world's philosophies? Think about the family you grew up in, the way you were taught and learned. What were the first basic uh, fundamentals of the way of life in your family? Did it characterize more of uh, philosophy of the world or the philosophy of Christ? When I say the philosophy of the world, some of you hear that and you think, you think you know, all kinds of sin. But the world isn't just full of people who do blatant sin. The world's also full of people who like to keep man-made rules. Was your philosophy characteristic of the philosophy of the purity and freedom and accountability in Christ? Or was it the way the world operates? And how much of that have you ingested? Are there things that need to be put off as your mind is renewed in what the Scripture actually says and then put on the things of Christ, the virtues that will flow out of those basic principles? Are there um, uh, things in your life that are misaligned or are lacking? Well, the Scripture says you need to be filled up to the brim with what Jesus says and then by faith apply those principles to your life here. Are there major areas of your life that need major alignment? Can you identify them? If you can't, is there someone you can ask who would be a, a good friend and open and honest with you and say, this is really lacking here and could direct you to the scriptures to renew your mind and start to put in the proper uh, habits here in Christ. What kind of work does it take to let the principles of Jesus Christ begin to penetrate us and conform us and change us to the fullness of the wholeness of Jesus Christ? Let me encourage you to think about the fact that every day there are two things that are going to pull on you. The world or the power of the Spirit and the Word of God fleshing out the image of Jesus Christ in your life. Always yield to the Spirit. Next week we'll look in number 4 in Romans 12 what it means to unleash the Spirit in the life of the believer. So I encourage you to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 to ponder that because as we have received, so live. As we have been rooted, so be built up. As we have been taught, in accordance with the scriptures, as Bereans, always checking the, the whole counsel of God, be established in the truth. And don't return to slavery. This is the apostles' doctrine. This is what matters. This is what counts. And when you find out what counts for all eternity, put all your eggs in those baskets and live for King Jesus.
by the power of the cross.